Welcome to the Energizing India podcast, a program that focuses on electric mobility in India, giving a voice to this industry sector. My name is Ravin Mirchandani, and on this program, we feature conversations with key protagonists and industry leaders, creating a narrative on how to facilitate faster adoption of electric mobility in India. Today is going to be an interesting show as we are talking about what happens beyond lithium. After the invention of the wheel, options for human transport barely evolved over 4,000 years. The arrival of the internal combustion engine, or the ICE technology, changed all of that during the late 1800s, and it was the lead-acid battery that enabled the growth of the ICE mobility era, powering the electric starter and other onboard systems for over 90 years. A competitor to lead acid emerged when the first commercially viable lithium batteries were launched in 1985. And then the age of lithium arrived, giving us phones, personal portable electronic gadgets, and even underpinning the electric mobility renaissance that we are witnessing today. But there is a dark side to lithium. The need to rape and pillage entire hillsides to power our mobility and communications using a finite source for an ever-hungry and growing human need is frankly not sustainable. If all of us on the planet moved to electric mobility today, there would just not be enough lithium to power our hopes and prices would soar, resulting in all of us making the choice to keep polluting, staying with ICE technology. Moreover, lithium mining requires significant water resources. And as at 2020, it takes 2 million tons of water to mine enough lithium to power just 90 cars. Hydrogen is often thought of as the panacea to this problem, as an FCEV uses only one-tenth the amount of lithium for mobility. But there may be a new exciting development that has popped its head up over the horizon. It's a battery technology that has been doing the rounds for a few years, and now seems to have finally landed on a firm footing and could help save the future of our hopes and aspirations for a cleaner planet that is not built on the premise of humans pillaging scarce natural resources. That technology could be sodium-ion batteries. Theradion, a British company based in Sheffield in the United Kingdom, is pioneering the next generation of advanced, low-cost battery materials employing sodium-ion technology which it says is indistinguishable from leading other technologies for energy storage in terms of performance, but can be far cheaper than lithium-ion batteries. We speak today with James Quinn, CEO of Ferradian and a key global technology executive in this sector, as well as an entrepreneur of both public and private companies, mergers and acquisitions, and venture capital investments. James, we're delighted to have you with us. Welcome to the program. Thanks, Ravin. It's a, it's a pleasure to be here. I'm very happy to speak to you. We see India as a very exciting uh, market opportunity for, for sodium ion and for Radian in particular. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. But James, first up, you seem like a really interesting bloke. You're an American working for an English company, living in Germany. Um, what's the go there? What's the background? Isn't, isn't that almost normal these days, right? <laughs> um, yeah, so I had my first company in Palo Alto in Silicon Valley. Um, and, and I sold that company to a public company in Germany. And that's what kind of brought me over in, in, into Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, and, and I've been a serial entrepreneur ever, ever since, and I've done four or five other companies, and 
Um, I think Ferradian is probably the first company I've worked at that my kids actually understand what I do. You know, <laughs> when they get in the car, the first thing they want to do is charge their phone, right? So, <laughs> so have you been in energy storage all your life, or is this uh, is this your first foray into the battery industry? Yeah, this is the first foray into battery industry. But uh, I had a company doing electrochemistry in Sweden previously. It was really related to the semiconductor industry, but it was electrochemistry. It was a plating type technology. And so, so there, there were definitely a lot of similarities, scaling a new technology, commercializing new technology. So there's a lot of parallels. Um, you know, what's quite different, though, if you open up a semiconductor device, it's like a jewel. It's beautiful. You open up a battery and it's, uh, it's quite different. <laughs> so true. Um, so Ferradian is an interesting company as well, uh, started by one of the pioneers of, of the lithium ion industry as well. Uh, and today onto a very different trajectory with you in the driving seat. Um, tell us a little bit about Ferradian, James. Yeah, so Ferradian uh, was was started uh, about 10 years ago. And, and it really it takes 10 years to commercialize a new battery chemistry. Um, one of the co-founders, Chris Wright, uh, he was one of the co-founders of IP to IPO, which became the IP Group, which is really pretty famous in Europe. It's one of the largest investors in um, intellectual property from universities like Oxford and Cambridge and so forth. Um, Chris, uh, at the time, uh, the first lithium cobalt oxide was developed in Oxford by a pretty famous guy named Professor John Goodenough. Uh, and, and John Goodenough won the Nobel Prize, as you probably know, for, for lithium. It was the first high-energy lithium technology. And Chris was the CEO of the group that, that had the rights to that technology. And Chris licensed that to a number of companies, the most famous being Sony. And Sony was the first one to use rechargeable lithium technology in the market in 1991 uh, for the Sony camcorder. I think I still have some of those batteries in the bottom drawer at home from, from those cameras. <laughs> So, um, you know, modern legend has it that when uh, when Tesla first came up with its car, there weren't uh, many lithium-ion battery manufacturers, and so they they in effect took the same camcorder battery technology and used eighteen thousand of those cells to power the car. Is that true? Uh, that's a good question. I, I I can't I can't say if that's true or not, but it's a great story. You know, I, actually, I think it's great. You know, I I really like the the history of batteries. I'm I'm actually going to try to get away over the weekend. I'm going to Lake Como in Italy, and that's where the first battery was invented by Alessandro Volta. And, and there's there's a there's a museum there, uh, and much to my children's relief, it was closed last year when I went. So uh, I will try to try to make the pilgrimage this weekend. In fact, when batteries were first invented, they they didn't really know what to do with them, and they were using them to try to reanimate dead people, and it became a bit of a sideshow. And ultimately, that led to the writing of Frankenstein. So is that right? it's quite quite a quite an interesting history there. It is to go from trying to animate dead people to actually having something to power your car. What a long trajectory to get here. So um, let's talk about uh, sodium ion then. Um, so, you know, we talked about the history of batteries. Lead acid was the first battery technology, helped crankshaft, cr crank up the, the IC engine, brought us the modern electronic gadgets. But it's got problems, as we know. It, it, and, and the problems with, with, uh, with lithium uh, is... The fact that it's a finite resource, uh, it's not exactly the best for our planet, is incredibly expensive and needs a number of other chemistries to make it work. Uh, and the, the, the sorts of benefits that um, your technology is promising is uh, 
almost a lithium kind of performance at a lead acid kind of cost, but not having to rape and pillage the planet, not needing precious you know, minerals or natural resources like graphite, cobalt, copper, or lithium by itself. And is abun- but abundantly available in all countries, isn't it? Salt uh, uh, and sodium is available in, in, in most countries, which makes them independent of their energy needs. Um, I'm interested, um, James, um, it seems almost like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow, and yet everyone's busy investing in lithium ion. What's, uh, what's happening? Why has it taken so long for sodium to land? And where do you see sodium ion fitting in the, in the global energy landscape and how soon? I, I think it's interesting. Uh, when Ferradian got involved with sodium ion, and, and Ferradian was started a, as a company. It's not a spin out of the university. We own all of the IP and so forth. But it was a white space. Really, nobody was really working much on it. It was pretty much neglected. And, and I think there was a lot of biases towards it that were ultimately unfounded, that it would be too heavy. It would be wouldn't have high enough energy density. And, you know, and and I think people did a little bit of experiments and kind of moved on quite quickly. Um, we had a different view of it, and we put a lot of time and resources to scale the technology to the point that it is competitive with lithium iron phosphate uh, initially. And then we think the technology has a lot of headroom. It's got legs uh, to, to close into you know, uh, somewhere in 250 watt hours per kilogram and above. Uh, we actually have some data and some proof points of that um, in, in the labs to be able to scale up. Um, so, so I think there were some biases towards it. Um, now, now where we are today, if you fast forward today, we're generating revenue, we're shipping product, we're already in the business. And, and I think that's something that's um, maybe still people think it's still a bit researchy, uh, but we're actually commercialized the technology. We have customers, we have product out in the field as well. And I think if you, if you take a look, if you step back a moment, Sodium ion and, and lithium ion have actually a lot of similarities. They're very complementary in many ways. There's a lot of, um, they're, they're also quite comparable and compatible. You know, we use the exact same manufacturing equipment that uses lithium ion. Our cells are made on the exact same lines, same equipment. There's no special uh, equipment or processes or different. It's just a change in chemistry. Um, what, what you're seeing is, if you look at it, there's really a triangle of, of really only two or three countries that really have the amount of lithium reserves. If you look at Chile, for example, um, to produce the lithium they produce today, it requires 65% of the water reserves of the nation. I mean, that's huge. It takes 2 million liters of water to produce one ton of lithium, which is enough for 90 cars. That's a problem. It's just a fundamental problem. The other thing is lithium prices were down a few years ago. And so there wasn't a lot of investment in new mining. And now that this demand is really is really taken off and all of this legislation and banning ICE automobiles and, you know, every major uh, automotive company announcing they're going into all electric has created this wide oil rush for for lithium. So, James, you've raised a very, very pertinent point, and that is that Lithium mining needs a tremendous amount of water, doesn't it? Um, you, you talked about how two million liters of water are used to produce one, just one ton of lithium, which is enough at the moment to power 90 cars. That's a significant amount of water being used. And, uh, you have previously in, in some of the discussions you've had and some of the advocacy messages you've given around the world, you've talked about how almost 60% plus of, um, 
the water resources of a particular country in Latin America are being used just for lithium mining. Can you talk a little bit about this and and why this is necessary and how the sodium ion technology actually liberates uh, us from having to uh, use this much this much water uh, to power our mobility? Yeah, it's 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 part of the the the, the mining process, and uh, they use brine, and it, it it's just a very water intensive process. Sodium um, sodium ion or sodium chloride actually is a thousand times more plentiful in the earth than than lithium. Um, it costs you know today somewhere around thirteen to fifteen thousand dollars a ton to mine lithium. Sodium is about one hundred and fifty dollars, so it's a significant cost differential. Um, and, 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 you know, so that has a lot of impact on the availability of it, on energy security. Uh, you may have seen the announcement recently, CATL, largest battery company in the world, has announced that uh, they'll be going into producing sodium ion technology in 2023 um, because 80% of the lithium in China is imported. And, and China has still been one of the largest, uh, you know, markets for, for, uh, for EV. Uh, and and it's just not sustainable. You know, hearing you, I feel very excited because I think in, in many ways, what always worries me about electric mobility is the fact that it, it rests on lithium and the implications of, of energy independence and also the environmental impact of, of, of lithium mining. Um, do you see sodium ion being used in all applications that lithium is used in today? For example, uh, not just static energy uh, and electric mobility, but also heavy vehicle mobility. And finally, personal electronic uh, portable products, um, which is really a big source of lithium ion uh, demand today as well. Yeah. So interesting. I think what, you know, again, while lithium's been getting all the sexy headlines and and all of that, what people don't realize is 70% of the, the market is still lead acid. I mean, lead acid is a significant market. It's still growing, grows four to 5% compound annual growth rate per year. Revenue wise, the market's close to 50-50 because lithium is more expensive and it's growing at a faster compound annual growth rate. So, so you know, if you take a look at the low hanging fruit for a new technology, lead acid is clearly that opportunity. So if you have a lead acid business or application and you want to move to lithium ion, it's a much more costly transition to, to do. So if you want a high performance solution, but at a, at a more cost effective uh, way to get there, sodium ion is the way to do that. So the lead acid applications. So if you look at three wheelers, your e-rickshaws, you look at forklifts, you look at a lot of these kind of applications. Um, also utility grid and commercial and industrial. Those are clearly really wonderful opportunities for sodium ion technology because it gives them that level of performance, but at the cost of ownership. Why is the cost of ownership lower? Because lithium, sodium ion does not use lithium. It does not use copper. It does not have cobalt. So it's inherently less expensive. It doesn't have those expensive raw materials. Now, if you go to the next level of, of the technology as we're, as we're you know, advancing the technology, um, we're coming out with a new chemistry in the second half of next year. So our chemistry, Whetstone, uh, will be releasing the second half of next year. This is 170 watt hour per kilogram technology, 5,000 cycles. This is a million mile battery. So that's a million mile battery for, for passenger EVs. It's not that we're going into passenger EVs uh, next year, but it enables us to have the cell and the chemistry to partner with the OEMs to really integrate this technology. 
Um, and, and I think that's a really exciting opportunity. Some of the customers we've spoken to said, this comes out in the market that's unparalleled. There's nothing on the market that can be that low cost and have the ability to go a million miles. So you talked about the Whetstone technology, which will then uh, eventually be used in passenger electric vehicles. I'm assuming this is sodium ion technology, but a next generation. Um, so what has changed between your present Faradian offering to when you launched the, wet, uh, the Whetstone uh, technology that, that puts you into passenger EVs? Yeah, so we there's, there's two kinds of um, innovations, if you will. <clears throat> we have, um, so we have our engineering team that's doing cumulative iterative improvements. So we may do something to the, you know, the, the cathode. The, and then on top of that, we do something to the anode. And then on the next generation is, is doing something to the electrolyte. So, so these are all cumulative improvements that, that you know, advance the technology in that way. Um, and so for, for us, we have a, a, another group we're working with for innovation accelerators. So they're working on the blue sky, the big ideas, the, the, you know, the metal anodes, the anode free and those type of innovations where they're not as involved in the day to day aspect with the customers. And, 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 and that's part of the way you advance the technology to the step change. Uh, and at the same time, you advance the technology in terms of improved product performance and, and features. So there's many, many questions going through my head right now, James, uh, uh, and a lot of them have to do with India as well. But first up, is, is Faradin the only company that's offering the sodium ion technology or do you have competitors in this technology? Because you've talked about patents in particular China and I have a whole set of questions on that. But is Faradin the only company with sodium ion technology today? Well, as we mentioned, CATL has made an announcement that they will be going into it. But as I said, we're already into it. We're shipping product and generating revenue. Um, no, there are, you know, there there are a few other companies that have gotten into the space. Uh, there's there's a company in California called Natron. Um, there's a company in Sweden, Altris. There was a company called Aquion uh, Technology as well. So there's a, there's a lot of uh, innovation and investment in sodium ion technology from what you've just said. Um, before I, I come to India, uh, you talked about having a Chinese patent. I'm going to ask you an incendiary question. Not a lot of people will believe in intellectual property protection in China. You obviously do, given that you filed a patent protection in the country. Um, I'm interested in your opinion on that. Yeah, we used to joke and say uh, NDA in China means you don't put it on the Internet, you know. Um, but I, I think, it, you know, it is a challenging market. I think it's gotten better. Um, you know, we, we, we file patents worldwide, uh, India, Australia, U.S., Europe, all, the, all those places in China as well. Uh, Korea and Japan, and and I think it's it's important to to do that. You, you know, if there is a violation, you do have um, you know the first approach is a matter of fairness and and integrity uh, discussions. It's quite interesting. Argon, um, you know, Argon developed the NMC technology in in the U.S. and you know as a government institution, they didn't really file patents worldwide. They only filed them in the U.S. because it's expensive. It's our second highest cost is managing our IP behind our behind our team. And what was interesting is people started copying it. They were doing it ev- everywhere. Uh, and then General Motors wanted to use LG to produce the NMC technology. And the fact that they had a patent in the U.S., they can stop those products from being shipped into the U.S. So Jeff Chamberlain flew out to uh, uh, to LG and they cut a license deal with LG there. And and so I think that's been our strategy is to, to be able to really have the core IP to be very defensible in that way. 
So uh, coming to India then, James, um, your first success was in Australia. And then I think your very early second success was uh, signing with a trucking company in India. Um, today, uh, electric mobility is just about starting to bubble in India. We have... Um, a few hundred thousand scooters already on the road, a similar amount of uh, probably a million now electric rickshaws, uh, particularly in the, in the northern Indian states. And um, the three major automotive companies in India have all launched electric vehicles in the last 12 months. So this is happening. You know, the cities will have electric buses as a, as a, as a majority of their fleet over the next five years. Um, what has been missing in this jigsaw? Or the domino that still needs to fall, in other words, is the giga factories that need to come to India to make lithium batteries or lithium cells, cell manufacturing plants in India. Five have been announced. There's a Japanese joint venture. Some of the in- major Indian groups have said they'll do it. And these are, of course, all lithium ion uh, chemistries, uh, all different kinds of chemistries, but all lithium ion based. Um do you think that India is a big market to suddenly move to sodium ion? Because what you are talking about, if proven and sustainable, answers a lot of questions of the big barriers to implementation of electric vehicles in India. Not just the cost of lithium-ion batteries, but the energy independence uh, and the fact that you know these investments are just being made. So it's quite easy to integrate sodium ion. Are, are you excited about that? How, how are you going to play into this? I, I think India is going to be massive um, you know when when it happens and that's the big question is when it happens um, I you know I think the government uh, well if you just step back if you look at what China did I mean China really put in an end-to-end strategy I mean they built the gigafactories they incentivized consumers to create demand to fill the gigafactories they they secured the material supply chain China controls 72 percent of the refinement of cobalt 65 percent of the the world's graphite supply 30 times the lithium reserves compared to the U.S., you know, and, and so they really put an end-to-end strategy there. Again, 80% of the cost to sell is the material. You build a gigafactory in India, you're still dependent on China for the material supply chain. And I think that's not really fully well understood. The other, the other area is, is everybody is talking about lithium in, in India as well. And, and that's what the, you know, the customers know and what they're, they're asking for. And I always like the quote from Henry Ford. He said, if I asked my customers what they wanted, they would have told me faster horses. And uh, so I, I do think you need to kind of look beyond that. If you look at India in particular, 30 of the most polluted cities in the world, 22 are in India. I mean, India is the largest import of oil worldwide. Um, and if you want to get away from your dependence on the Middle East for oil and, you know, clean up the environment and go more towards a renewable energy, then you become dependent on China in terms of the material supply chain. Sodium ion gives the opportunity to um, have energy security, uh, to clean up the environment from a sustainability. You, you have a vertical integration. Uh, I mean, I think in many homes in India, there's top to salt on the table, right? And, you know, so so I think... India has all of the, the abilities to, to become the world leader in beyond lithium. My experience, though, is uh, someone explained this to me from India, said India is a bit like when you see penguins moving to the edge of the ice. You know, they all massively move at the same time and then they stop at the edge and then they're waiting to see who's going to jump in first. And they push one in. And then if there's no blood, then the other ones come in. And, and I think India standing at analogy. the edge. You know, they're standing on the edge 
waiting for someone to go. And once they go, then, then, then I think everybody will go. So what have been your early successes in India? Tell us about the deal you've done with the trucking company in North India. I assume they are going to be implementing sodium ion technologies in, in electric trucks. Um, yeah, I would say there's, there's, a, there's a couple of different areas that we're, we're engaged with. Um, that's, that's one of them. And those are big battery packs. So ultimately, you need to, when you're doing, you know, truck batteries and you're, you're doing that, you need to actually produce these to where you're making the vehicles. You can't ship these in from, from other places. So, you know, I know India's typically been importing the cells and, and in many cases they can make the packs themselves and so forth. So ultimately you need to, to you're stacking margins. You're, you're not in charge of your own destiny. So I think ultimately you need to bring all of that in, in, in house and you need to bring it in locally. Um, another area that's quite interesting is we're seeing a lot of the big oil companies that, you know, um, I mean, it, it's interesting if, if uh, I'll just say this and then maybe I'll tell you a little background on that. And that, and that is a lot of the big oil companies are, are pivoting towards hydrogen. And you, you mentioned that earlier as well. And, and I think that's quite interesting. And I think it works very well for big trucks, mining trucks, you know, and, and, but it's a hybrid. So you still need a battery. And sodium ion battery, because we have very fast charging, discharging, it's a, you know, they call it the, the what is it, the Delhi cycle. So what is a, a bus run in, the, in, in Delhi? So there's, it needs regenerative braking and, and there's these mm-hmm. kinds of challenges. But sodium ion enables you to have about half the size of the battery than lithium ion, which is smaller mass, smaller weight, lower cost. And, and more effective solutions. So there's a lot of interest in hydrogen hybrid from some of the oil companies looking to be able to, uh, to go into that area. Uh, it's the three wheelers. It's the e-rickshaws, as we talked about as well, there's transitioning into those. Build it and they will come in effect. Um, let's, let's talk a little bit about the, the sodium ion technology then. Um, sodium, uh, in, in many of your, of your advocacy pl- platforms, you talk about how sodium is ubiquitous, available everywhere, and therefore allows uh, companies and countries energy independence. Um, what kind of sodium are you using in the sodium ion technology? Is this something that you can get from desalinating the ocean, for example, or do you need a very specific kind of salt? Um, that you're using? Uh, what kind of refining process is required? Are these large scale investments or can they be done in a small scale? Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not an expert in that, but it is sodium chloride, which is essentially the same as table salt. And and I mean, in India, is, I think India is probably one of the largest processors of sodium chloride almost worldwide uh, in particular. So it is readily available. It's inexpensive. Um, yeah, there is there is the oceans. There's um, you know in most every country there's sodium chloride. There's a lot in the UK here, for example. Um, so it is pretty readily available. It's a, as I said, a thousand times more plentiful uh, in the earth than than lithium. Uh, so you know, and accessing it is quite different than doing the the lithium mining, and you can you can harvest it. I don't know if the desalination is going to be the low cost way to do it, uh, but if we start running low in other areas, maybe that's that that is an opportunity. I ask because India has a lot of salt pans. It's something that we've been doing for over 500 years in low lying areas. You let the ocean in, and then you bund it, and you let the water evaporate, and that leaves you lots of salt. So um, it's been it's been done for for generations here. We well before the British identified that they could tax that, uh, bringing in the salt tax, which eventually gave us one of the reasons for independence. Um, but yes, yeah, so I, I guess your answer is that it is abundantly available in most countries. It's sodium chloride. There's lots of production capabilities, and it's quite interesting that, as you say. 
present Gigafactory investments are not made redundant because the way you've designed your own technology means that a lithium-ion cell production line could in fact start making, start manufacturing sodium-ion cells um, uh, without much changes. So does that mean that a Gigafactory that's doing lithium-ion one day can in fact make sodium-ion the next day? Uh, is it as easy as that or is it is it a complex process that's almost permanent to change over? It is, it is It is. easy as that. Um, I think the one caveat I would say, if you're running it on the same line, you know, you have to do clean out the line from the coating. You don't want cross-contamination of chemistry, but the equipment is the same. And and our partners are currently running them on the same lines. They run lithium. Um, we, are, we, we have a coating partner. They code on lithium on Monday and on Tuesday they code ours. So, so that's something that's quite easy. However, I think for us to really be able to scale, we need to have dedicated lines. You can't be, you know, cleaning out the line and you know avoiding cross contamination so this is what we're really working on now we're looking to put in a uh, what we call a, a, a low volume line in Sheffield uh, so we're doing um, uh, we're doing a fundraise right now to put in about a million cell capacity in Sheffield and then we qualify our partners you know reduce cycles of learning in the development aspect of it and then we we move those qualified customers over to our high volume manufacturing partners who will dedicate a line when they move into past the proof of concept stage into the into the volume manufacturing so um dream time is one of the one of the role descriptions of a ceo i'm sure you indulge in it very often where where do you see this uh, industry say five years and 10 years from today, do you see sodium ion being the dominant technology 10 years from now and scratching at 50-50 five years from today? What, what, what are your own you know, assessments of, uh, of where this is heading? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I think we'll, you know, we'll continue to see innovation. And I, I think what's, what's to me very attractive about ferradium and sodium ion technology is because we, we use all the same infrastructure, we use the same basic system. If there's solid state for lithium ion, it works for sodium ion as well. So we stand on the shoulders of, of all of these massive companies that are doing development and we can, we can import those improvements in addition to our own improvements. So I think it enables us to always be able to, to continue to advance the technology. I think the you know the big prize is the passenger EV market. Ultimately, I mean that is the biggest prize, and it's the biggest opportunity in terms of sustainability and and really making a fundamental change uh, into the into into the environment. Um, I think the the challenges. You know, I grew up in the in the late '60s in the U.S. and you know we had uh, Kennedy put the whole nation behind a single vision. You know, the space race put a man on the moon and beat Russia and be the first ones to do that. And, and it was amazing, you know, I mean, and, and we did it and, and the whole country was behind it. There was a CEO of a defense contractor uh, back in those days. He flew back from a business trip, was, came in the company on a Sunday night to get some papers. And the, there was a guy sweeping the floor and he said, well, what are you doing here Sunday night sweeping the floor? And the guy said, I'm helping to put a man on the moon. And, and I, I think there was a, a, a vision behind all that. And, and we did it. And, and I think... I think that's something that's 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 missing in India is is really to get the whole country behind a single vision to go. I, I think India has a, a massive opportunity. You have the knowledge from the people. You have some of the most educated people. You have you have the resources. You have the market. You you have everything to go beyond lithium and to be leapfrog China and be the 
the leader in the next generation of sustainable renewable energy in the world. But like the U.S., what we did was we put a man on the moon and it became almost a single event and we stopped. And then we had to pay Russia to put an astronaut on the International Space Station. And when they didn't like us, cost more, they didn't do it right away. And you cannot outsource your energy security. You cannot outsource exploration and innovation. And I think you see what SpaceX did and, and they, they fundamentally changed uh, you know, space travel. And, and I think this is what, what we need from, from India is you need a, you know, an end-to-end strategy. You need to get the whole nation behind this unique opportunity here um, because the world is changing. And, uh, you know, it's, it may not feel like it. The world doesn't stand still. Certainly felt like it last year with COVID, but uh, it's amazing, you know, what can happen out there. And um, so staying with that theme then, James, um, we ask this question to everybody who comes on. It's usually the last question we ask on the podcast. Um, and you've talked about, you, you gave some strong advice to India there. And, and so I'll pose it to you. If you were to give one piece of advice to the Prime Minister of India and what he could do to help India be energy independent and have sodium ion be the leading technology in India, enabling very fast adoption of electric vehicle mobility because the cost will drop uh, as a result. If you if you could give him advice to do just one thing, what would that one thing be? Hmm, that's a good question. To do one thing. I, I, I think the, it's pretty much what I just said. As I said, get the nation behind a single vision. I, I think you, if, if you can power all of this knowledge, all of your resources, and you can harness this and, and really drive it into a single direction, you, you, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a tsunami. You know, the, the power and the force that, that can be done and the speed in which things can happen are unbelievable. James, it's been an incredible pleasure to have you on the program. We've learned so, learned so much, in fact. Um, I'm very motivated and excited about what this means, uh, not just for electric mobility adoption in India, but in the globe, uh, and for a sustainable planet long-term addressing the weaknesses of lithium-ion technology. Thank you so very much for having made time for our program. Thank you very much. I really enjoyed it, and uh, I feel energized as well. So <laughs> thank you. <laughs> I'm your host for this episode, Ravin Mirchandani. But I would not be here without the amazing Energizing India podcast team. Onkar, our podcast director and the man who makes it all happen in the end, much like a big fat grand Indian wedding, bringing together the research data and attention to details, all in the timelines to get the next episode out on time. Three Vikram, our podcast co-host and head of research, and Sunil, who along with me is executive producer of our program. The Energizing India podcast is an Ador Digatron production, giving a voice to the EV industry in India. If you enjoyed listening to us today, make sure to follow us on whatever platform you are listening on, whether it's Spotify, Apple iTunes, or our own portal, energizingindia.tv. Thank you very much, and see you on the next episode.